Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to That Gabby Roslin Podcast, part of the Acast Creator Network. My guest this week on the podcast is the hugely talented and all-round lovely singer-songwriter Katie Tunstall. She opens up about how being adopted has given her abandonment issues, but that finding her biological mother and then years later her siblings on the show Long Lost Family has been an incredible experience. Katie talks about her drive to become a musician and how she never gave up on her dream. And she talks with such great passion about her move to America and her beautiful dogs. We also get the scoop on her new album, which is out this summer. She is really a rock and roll dream. Please, can I ask you a favor? Would you mind following and subscribing, please? By clicking the follow or subscribe button. This is completely and utterly free, by the way. And you can also rate and review on Apple Podcasts, which is the purple app on your iPhone or iPad. Simply scroll down to the bottom of all of the episodes. I know there have been quite a few now. And you'll see the stars where you can tap and rate and also please write a review. Thank you so much. Gabby. Oh, there she is. How are you? There she is. Oh, lovely girl. How are you? I am very happy to be hearing your voice. Do you know, I remember the, so the first time that we met, you came into the radio show and you're one of those people. And I've got to say that a lot of people say this about you, that we all feel like we've known you for a hundred years when we meet you. You have that extraordinary way of bringing people into your life were you like that always that's a lovely compliment thank you I'm very I'm very happy that people feel like that I definitely was when I was a kid very quick to make friends and my mum sort of used to always joke about it that she could kind of put me anywhere and she'd come back and I'd be hanging out with six other kids you know and absolutely fine and I don't remember I don't remember ever feeling Actually, that's not true. I do remember a period of when I moved school in my teen years that I felt I felt a little discombobulated and a little left out. But to be honest, that I probably lasted about a day and then I made really good friends. But yeah, I'd always I'd always really loved connecting with people. That's very magical because most times because a lot of people talk about shyness because I'm very open about it. But most times you hear people saying that, especially as performers, that they felt on their own or they felt shy or they felt lonely. Um, And I just, do you know, that's one of the most uplifting things to hear that somebody didn't feel like that. I mean, I think it's a fascinating psychology to, to get into immediately. <laughs> Is that someone I know. Said, I didn't know we were going to go no, there. I love it. I mean, what, let's not waste time here. Um, But I, someone once said to me, people who perform, either haven't been loved enough or have been loved too much. (laughs) I just thought that was really funny. If you look at the reason why, you know, I spent 10 years of my life with no money trying to get on stage and trying to play for people. And of course, it's multifaceted. Part of it is loving 
playing, part of it is loving creating something, part of it is loving the joy of playing an instrument and singing. But there was definitely, I think, an interesting psychology for me personally, where as an adopted kid, I'm constantly looking for family. I'm always looking for meaningful, I mean, everybody's different, but for me, I think that my adoption and subsequent, you know, very simple, understandable abandonment issues, um, it's something very, very innate and baked into me because I, I still don't know where I was the first two weeks of my life. And I was, you know, taken in by a wonderful family but it still was it's it's still a very unusual situation and um and I think and you know my family weren't massive huggers and they weren't kind of smotherers and I love you's and all of that it was a we they were an amazing family um and I'm I'm a very sensitive person and I think that that little area was somewhere where I kind of always wanted to find a hug I always wanted to find a connection all the time as a kid. And I think I'm probably still like that. But you, what's so amazing, I mean, I, obviously we were going to talk about um, uh, being adopted and and then going on Long Lost Family. And I watched it again yesterday. I saw it originally and um, I watched it again yesterday because I knew I was going to talk to you. Oh, yeah. goodness me. I mean, I unbelievable. Whoa, ho, ho. I mean, meeting your sisters, being told on a TV show yeah. that your birth father you weren't sadly going to meet him. And then yeah. on a TV show, meeting your sisters, who you look so alike. I know, it's really weird. After spending a whole lifetime not looking like anybody oh. I knew, and then, at, you know, whatever it was, at 40, 46, 40, well, how old was I, 45 when I met them or something? Um, Absolutely bonkers. Was that, I mean, for us to watch it, it was incredibly moving extraordinary to watch i mean that show obviously is mm. extraordinary but but it's somebody... a brilliant show by the way and i want to i'd love to say that that you know we live in a age of you know quite um just sort of quite ruthless reality tv and it's it's really a total oasis that show where they were very very careful and caring of everyone involved they were lovely that's so nice to hear yeah. That really is nice to hear. I know, and I wouldn't have done it if I didn't feel that that was the case. But that moment must have been... I mean, nobody can imagine that moment. Well, the strange thing was that I'd been through it once before because I'd met my biological mother and I'd done that on my own and I'd found her when I was 23. I'd actually watched... I'm a huge Brenda Blethyn fan and... Brenda Blethyn has come to play this really weird, pivotal role in my life. And I have met her and was able to say thank you. And she burst out crying. But it was it was um, actually Mike Lee's Secrets and Lies. <gasps> oh, my That movie, goodness. which is just an amazing film, if you haven't seen it. It's one of Mike Lee's, you know, most celebrated films. And it's about a young um, woman who tries to find her biological mother and succeeds. And it's Brenda Blethyn. And um, I watched that and it was just such an absolute minefield of nightmares. And it was so funny. And I think just seeing that situation handled with humour maybe just made me go, I think I could do that. I think I could handle that, whatever it is. Because there's just something in me and not all adoptive people have it at all, but there's something in me where... I just had these mysterious corners. There's four parental pillars to my life and two of them, I didn't know what they looked like. I didn't really know who they were. And I just wanted to see a picture. It wasn't even that I necessarily wanted to meet them and have a relationship. It was just, I wanted to fill in that blank, you know, and know a little bit about myself and my history. Um, and I knew probably more than most people do because we did get quite a lot of information. My parents were given quite a lot of information, but not her whereabouts. And so at 23, I started to search and it took about six months. And um, it was it was incredible. It was pretty difficult. It was a very bumpy road and we're in a good place now. But it was a long and bumpy road and it was not a simple, simple uh, situation which you would never expect it to be it's a very it's a very emotional circumstance you know and then 
So this time round, it was a TV show. And some people might think, why on earth would you do that? And the the reason being that I tried to find my biological father and I couldn't find him. And they called them and said, look, we've got 10 researcher, researchers. We've got social workers who will help everybody involved. You've got a, you know, someone you can call for the rest of your life if you need to, if it was to do with the show. Um, and I was like, God, I wish I'd had that the first time around. It would have made it so much more uh, easy on everybody. Um, and so kind of in in light of the first time around, which I'm forever glad that I've met my biological mom. It's definitely enriched my life. Um, it was actually a really great opportunity. For anybody that is, has gone through that or is going through that, the there's always the question that's asked is, do you, not regret it that's the wrong word but but i i'm making that bed that's quite neatly all there yeah and then suddenly pulling those bits up and finding them it's yeah it's pretty terrifying because it is a real-time real-life pandora's box you don't know what you're gonna get you don't know what you're gonna find you might find something awful you know, and I don't mean just someone that you don't get on with. You might find out something that you really wish you hadn't found out, you know. Of course, of course. Um, and I'm sure many people have been through the pain of that. So I just um, I just feel extremely grateful uh, that really, when you look at the spectrum of what could happen by going down that road and getting curious about it, I think I'd be pretty lucky. And it's certainly with my sisters, I'm just I knocked it out of the park. I mean, these two are like my best friends forever. We just, <gasps> we just like, oh, wow. We're so similar. And they were just amazing, um, Lel and Siobhan, because can you imagine? I mean, I knew that I might have siblings or I might have other family elsewhere. They had no idea. And then someone calls you and says, you we think that you've got another family member a sibling and they're really well known <laughs> i mean on so many levels and then it turns out it turns out that they'd been to see me at tea in the park it turned out that they had my album in their house and as soon as they were told that my younger sister said that she turned to my older sister uh, i'm the oldest but she turned to her older sister and said it's katie tunstall and Siobhan was like, don't be ridiculous. What are you talking about? And she went and got a picture of our father and my album. And she just put them on the table and they went, no. oh, God. Yeah. And they went, oh, my God, it's her. <laughs> so they knew straight away. So those two weeks that you mentioned at the beginning, those two weeks mm. that you don't know about your life, are yeah. you any clearer about them after speaking to your birth mum? So actually, I'm clearer about it talking to my mum. Yeah. So Rosemary's my mum, and I'd never asked her really about that. And it had always sort of haunted me a little bit, not knowing. I thought maybe I was in a, like an adoption clinic, or I didn't really know. And because um, mum had told me about where they had got me from, which was on Hanover Street in Edinburgh, which is where I ended up playing in a restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> for 25 quid and me dinner, which was really funny before everything kicked off. Mum actually told me not that long ago that I was fostered for a couple of weeks. So I was with a family because I wasn't sure if I was kind of just in a room with other kids who'd been given up for adoption, you know. So, I, and that's weird. It's like, who were they? I don't know who they were. These people who looked after me. Yeah, they they took in a a, a baby what was yeah. a beautiful thing to do and then to an hand her over to, to a family who were going to take her and love her I mean these people are angels on earth it's like to 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 give your time and your life to that transitional period you know where you look after a, a baby given up for adoption until it finds its family and it's just it's such an important time in a human life of having having a breast to lay your head on and being fed and looked after and but yeah I'll never know who those people are I don't think wow that's just made every hair stand up I'm actually I've got tears in my eyes it's got, crazy you're isn't right it? they're real angels yeah 
I can't. I don't even know who they are. So thank you. Well, maybe they're listening <laughs> so now. Just, Let's hope they are. Yeah, I hope so. Gosh, if you remember having a having a funny Chinese looking baby with loads of hair in a punk in a punk Mohawk <laughs> Mohican, that was me in nineteen seventy five. So what? Going to to the your back to your sisters, and the, the fact that they've seen you gigging. Yeah, and they've got your albums. What what a that that you're right that must be the extraordinary circle for them when people turn around they say yeah. to friends oh so we didn't know dad had had a baby before us yeah I mean that's blown our mind but hey would you like to meet my sister I know. and their friends go yeah what the hell of course yeah of course it's Katie Tunstall I know isn't that weird and uh, the the maybe the weirdest part of all of it is we are just family now. After such a yeah, short lovely. period of time, there's just so much love. And they were incredibly respectful. They didn't tell anybody. They didn't They didn't share it at all because there was quite a long time before the programme aired. And they said they just wanted us to get to know each other before anybody knew about it, which was just oh, lovely. such a lovely thing to do. And they've just never, they've never emotionally or in any other way approached our relationship in anything other than we are sisters it the the music the the fame it just has nothing to do with it at all it never has um and that's on them that's the, that's on them being just absolutely amazing people so did your because your musical ability you were quite surprised about that you know when you were i've read that you were four years old when you said you wanted a piano and things but your yeah your dad was a, a physics lecturer and your yeah. mum was a primary school teacher. And then suddenly there's this rock chick. Um, for, I know that's a cliche, but you really are. You're music no, through No, honestly, through. It, felt, it felt like they had just like taken in a wildling. <laughs> <laughs> and my mum would try and make me look nice for school. And if you saw my primary one school photo, I she tried so hard. And by the time I got there for the photograph, I just looked like I'd been playing with a hedge. <laughs> And I've just got my hair is just I look like Hermione Granger from Harry Potter. My hair is just everywhere. And I'm like dead center mic position. I mean, it was all there in stars, I think. <laughs> I love that. I remember at school, you know, like I never understood how gir- these other girls by the end of the day were going home with their shirt still white. I was like, it was like a magic trick to me. And I was just completely filthy. By the time I, I, I get that. Home. Did you always wonder when you started wearing makeup and everything? Did you wonder how everybody else's makeup would stay in place when mine was all smudged and I was sweaty always. after games? And always. nobody, those girls always. weren't sweaty, were they? No, they just didn't sweat. The magical non-sweaty <laughs> girls at school. I d- who, were they aliens? Do you think? I absolutely. They're a too different neat. species. Too neat and tidy. Just a different species. So you, as you said, you know, there you were. You were on on the same street extraordinarily uh that um playing for your supper and busking yeah. and you were busking in churches and all sorts of things music was properly it it was like a all over you and it was inside you you were music through and through weren't you yeah yeah and I, and I really I I'm so grateful to my mum and dad because neither of them were and you and I hear so often growing up and now as an adult where you know, kids have had really strong propensities and 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 compulsions and talent for things, and they just haven't had that support to really, you know, explore it. One of my exes would have been an amazing dancer, and uh, there was just no way of him pursuing that, you know. And so my mum and dad were, because you know, they were just super conscious of just going, like, we've got to work out what our kids are good at and allow them to flourish. And so they just, you know, they got all the lessons and took us to whatever we were doing. And it was, um, they were very dedicated to allowing us to be who we were going to be. How amazing. That's yeah, so really amazing. life to have that. It really is. I mean, if they hadn't, who knows? Because it was that very... I, I'm pretty convinced it was that very early musical and creative freedom that kind of planted the whole garden for what happened later. But how it happened was, you, you know, that, that you carried on and you carried on. Were there ever any times before that moment, you know, everybody always talks about the moment you were on Jules Holland, that, that yeah. before all of that, 
was there ever a time that you thought maybe I should do something else or were you set on music? It's so funny, Gabby, because as I'm getting older, I think more and more about that. And I just think, how did I do that? It was, it was, I knew it, I knew at 15 that I wanted to be a musician and I wanted to do that as a job. And I didn't really care what that looked like. I just didn't want another job. So it wasn't, it wasn't sort of going into wanting to be rich and famous and traveling the world was definitely high on the list. But but the rest of the trappings were not. It was just really making sure that I could make a living as a musician. And I'd met these other musicians in my hometown, which was just this amazing little hotbed of incredible musicians. It was King Creosote, the Beta Band, Vic Galloway had a band, um, James Yorkston. We were all from St Andrews, it, from a tiny little... 11,000 population town in Fife. It was just so weird. Um, and uh, But yes, yeah, so I'd met these guys and they were all just brilliant indie musicians. And so that was what I latched onto was this kind of quite anti-establishment, don't sign a record deal, do it your own way. I mean, and then the beta band did sign a record deal and it was all kind of a bit magical. It was like, oh my God, they can do it. But, but King Creosote, Kenny Anderson, who I adore, was my was really my mentor and biggest inspiration as a teenager. And he he was very fiercely independent and I really took after him. So that's partly why it took me a lot longer was that I just didn't want to court the business industry side of it for a very long time. I was trying to do it myself and, uh, you know, get get music grants and creative art grants and just make my own music. And it didn't really work. And so I just found myself getting into this pattern of I would do something, try something for a year or so, and then if it didn't work, I just scrapped it and started again. Wow. And that's, tried that's, something else. That's quite ruthless. It was ruthless, but I was, I was, I, there was just a clarity to the, to knowing that this was a one in a million chance of me actually being able to have a job as a musician and uh, in a way that I could live in a house and maybe have a car, you know, and if it wasn't working, it wasn't working. People weren't interested enough. And so, and it was, I think it was also just to keep my sanity during that time. I think at the end of it all, the biggest realization was I'm writing all of this stuff myself I'm getting all the gigs. I'm the one who's promoting all the gigs. I seem to be the only one who really cares. So I'm just going to, I'll just do it on my own. Not bother, not, not bother with a band or, or trying to, you know, involve other people really. But then how did the Jules Holland thing happen? So by 2000 and, well, by, by about the end of the 90s, 98, 99, I was living in Edinburgh and I'd <laughs> I'd thrown the towel in with the final band that I had because it just wasn't working and no one was interested. And, you know, it, it was just it was too difficult to to see how it would work. But I always kind of put money in a shoebox so I could get the bus down to London and play wherever I could at open mic nights because I was just like, look, no one's even, I cannot get arrested in Scotland. No one's coming up to see gigs. There are no A&R guys coming up. They'd say they'd come. I mean, it was the most disappointing thing. You'd like pay all your spare cash and beg all your friends to come to a show because this one magical A&R unicorn guy was coming up from London and then he wouldn't come. And it's just crushing. Oh, 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 and so tough. I was going down to London and one of the things that I ended up doing when I go down, and sometimes it would be with a band and we'd go down in a van and, you know, we had a great friend in a pub in Marlebone High Street called The Rising Sun who would spend his whole month budget on us playing for one night so that I could go and do open mic nights for the rest of the week. And I found this club called the Cashmere Club and it was, it was on Marlebone High Street and it was under a pizza restaurant and it was amazing. It was a little, just an absolute little diamond um, underground. And I I went through there. James Blunt went through there. Narina Palo went through there. Cheryl Crow ended up playing there. 
It was the first little, it was a tiny little basement and it was free to get in. But the, the payment was you had to shut up and listen. And it was this amazing guy called Tony Moore, who I'm still very good friends with, um, ran that club. And that's what did it. I, I, I was playing that club. Word got out that I was good. And then the A&R people started coming and watching me. That's incredible. You see, can I mean, I'm a, I, I go on and I bang on about following your dreams. But, you know, you obviously, yeah. I mean, listening to you now, you obviously have that talent you just get it yeah and I didn't have I really most of the people around me in my life did not believe I would be able to do it but your parents did and you did well my parents they didn't believe in the job part of it they were extreme they were they were massively supportive in the learning curve but then they were absolutely terrified when I said that I was going to be a performer as a living right it was a nightmare I I just said the worst thing I could have said to them. And it was very, very hard for us because they were just extremely worried. And also they didn't really listen to a lot of music. So they didn't they didn't know if I was good enough. And it just seemed so impossible to them. Um it was really, really hard. And so I was on my own. But that sorry, that's even more incredible that you carried on. I know. I, I, I am surprised that I did that. Because <laughs> I didn't get my record deal until I was 29. I know, but you've got that thing, whatever anybody wants to call it. I'm not going to call it mm. X Factor because we're not going to go down that road because that's that's a whole different, then that brings up a whole different thing of those shows. I mean, it is funny, isn't it? Because when you talk about those shows, that's, that's the thing that sort of makes me laugh about it is that if you go into any primary school in Britain, you could probably find 50% of them can sing pretty well. Like singing, singing is something that humans can do. It's not, it's not like a magic trick. But the X Factor actually has nothing to do with that. It's, it's to do with uh, David Bowie or, you know, Bob Dylan or Kate Bush or yeah. name uh, well, them. But and just, you, you are. Oh, well, no, but you, you are. You I, are... Strive, I strive to, to, I mean, that's more, I, I think a lot of it is about, about, about how you live your life. The X Factor, actually. I think there's a beautiful Helena Bonham Carter quote that I saw recently where she was just talking about your life is art. You know, everything you do, everything you wear, everything you think, everything you say is your art. Is Life is an art form. And I, I love that idea. And that's you, though, because you, you sort of, you live, breathe, eat music. You... You know, when you walk into a room, you are music. Gosh, that's quite a big thing to say, but you are. That's a lovely thing to say, Gabby. Thank you. It's maybe one of the nicest things anyone's ever said to me. Well, you are. You really are. (laughs) It's lovely. So for you then, I know you said you weren't thinking about the fame. You weren't thinking about the money, and but you like the idea of the traveling. But but then then, um, Later With Jewels happened. And then obviously, you know, loads of loads of stuff and you 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 were selling millions of albums and then obviously the the movie um suddenly I see in Devil Wears Prada and then I mean the minute I say those words, it's there are some songs in our lives that the minute I just say suddenly I see, I I start singing. But I can't help it. It's just isn't it mental? I mean, I just that that is such a that's a very, very um rare singular experience to sit in your basement in a flat in gospel oak looking at a patty smith record and write a song in the same way that you've written any other song and then it just turns into this ubiquitous it's like a it's like a gas (laughs) it's just like it's still everywhere and i'm it's still getting used for films and Every single country I go to in the world, people know this song. It's just unbelievable. Oh, how did what? Okay, you say unbelievable, but that it must be extraordinary. I because yeah. obviously I've never had a, a hit song. Because last night when I was and I was I was properly I was dancing around the sitting room. It was it, the whole time we were, I was listening to your whole yeah. back, back catalogue. Oh, and you. my 15 year old came in, she, suddenly I, and she was singing along. And I just, so what does that feel like? So you say it's unbelievable, but is it weird that 
<laughs> that people look at you and suddenly break into your song? It doesn't feel weird, but it's just that it's that it's that you know it's the holy grail as a as a performer that you can go out on stage and have a crowd sing your song back to you. <laughs> you know that's like the the ultimate teenage dream when you want to be a rock and roll star is everybody singing your song and then it happens and it's sort of like being in a parallel universe. Um, and now. In my midlife, it's sort of, it's it's really morphed in a very beautiful way where, um, you know, as you get older, you just, and you've done well, you're just like, well, what can I do? How can I help? How can I be helpful? That that starts to become much more exciting in your life as you get into your 40s. It's like, what can I actually do that's of service in this world? And what, and, and you know, I don't need to pick up a shovel or, or, um, you know, do something that's anything other than completely joyful. I just get on stage and sing a song that I wrote that I still really love and it just transmits joy. And I just see this room full of people, you know, hearing it for the first time live or remembering where they heard it for the first time or the fact that it was their soundtrack through university or whatever it is, you know. And that, and now I'm reading, now I'm reading kind of tweets and messages from people saying I remember dancing to that tune when I was a baby (laughs) you know people people are now like it's their parents music that they've grown up on it's their parents record collection that they've stolen um so it's a whole new experience of younger people getting into it as well which is just beautiful but it's what's so interesting is when you talk to people about a specific thing that they are best known for there are a lot of people so if there's a show that you've done or if there's a piece of music you've written or if there's a a piece of art and everybody goes back to that there are times when you want to say do you know what I have done other stuff too you see to to me it feels like you you're so proud of that and you're proud that you're spreading joy and that people are enjoying it that you don't have a moment where you think just stop mentioning that song because there are other songs. I think you have to be grateful. You have to you have to keep a perspective about it. That there's an awful lot of people in the world who would love to do what I do and haven't been able to do it. You know, they've not been able to make it work. It's a very, very difficult path to kind of uh, navigate and actually manage to make a living doing it. Um, and... So I get a lot of joy playing that for people. Of course, there's some days where I'm like, oh, it would be nice to not have to play it. But at the same time, you know, as I'm talking about it, it's like that those songs, those those number of hit songs that people love that I have. I play every gig. They are the vehicles that allow me to play new stuff for people. And if I didn't have those hits, maybe no one would care about the new stuff at all. And I wouldn't get a chance to play that new stuff for people. So um, I know exactly what it's like playing to a room full of people who couldn't give two rats asses about your who you are or what you're saying. They're just drinking a beer and talking over the top of you. I did that for 10 years. So I think going through, you know, paying your dues in that way kind of embeds in you a gratitude that you don't take it for granted that people are listening. You're very grounded, aren't you? Because I know you do, you've done a lot for the soul, mind, and body mm. albums, and 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 I've read and you've spoken quite a lot about how you feel that your life changed when your father died. Oh gosh, yeah. ten years ago now. Um, but but you've all of that is that and your your health um, problems that you've mm. had and your mm-hmm. hearing and all of these things. I, I, what I get from you is, and you said you're using the word grateful, but I just get this that you're, you're a realist. You're very grounded, and you're just so thankful for each day when it happens. Thank you. <laughs> I think um, I'm a rebel, and a rebel at heart, and I don't like to conform. I don't like being told what to do. I don't like being under a thumb or. Uh, you know, nodding to authority. And I think that within that, I noticed that there was this uh, this this expectation 
wherever I went that I hope you don't mind me swearing, but just that I would be an arsehole. And I was like, what is that about? Every, you know, oh, you're so nice, even though you're famous. I was like, well, people, what, well, people what are you were waiting for you to be. Yes, people still do. People always Why? expect you. I don't know. And I... I, I, and I, and I think a lot of this actually I put down to my mom and dad because they were extremely big on manners when we were growing up. And it's something that drives me a bit mad in the world where social media has, you know, definitely contributed to us just losing our manners. I, well, I agree with you. Completely and agree it, with you. And it's <laughs> just the basic communicative respect for other human beings. And waiting until someone finishes their sentence, which to be honest, I'm really bad at. But um, saying thank you, saying hello. <laughs> the amount of times I sort of am caught in a conversation where someone doesn't even introduce themselves or, you know, uh, how are you? And it's, the, it's this, it's coming to communion with other human beings from a respectful and open-minded place and I'm ne and, and I'm never I'm never not going to do that because I just think that that's my life suffers if I don't do that I agree with you I remember going to LA for a meeting and and somebody saying hey how are you and I said oh I'm very jet-lagged good what <laughs> You didn't listen. And it was just one of those simple oh, wow. things. And as an interviewer, you have to be somebody who listens. And you have to hear what people are going to say, because if you plan to talk about giraffes and they're going to talk about elephants, you're not then going to keep talking about giraffes because then you haven't listened. And and I just think people need to also, if you listen and somebody is hurting, then you're going to be there for them. If you listen and somebody is happy, you can take from that as well, give and take. Yeah, and I, I, I think also we we forget that listening is a gift to other people as well. And I, I heard a really good question the other day where it was it was if a friend is is, you know, losing their blob about something or a family member is losing their blob and you ask the question, would you like to vent or would you like advice? That's great. And I thought, what a great thing to ask someone. Because a lot of conflict, I think, happens when when people can't handle hearing other people in pain. And so you try and fix it when actually sometimes someone just needs to tell you about it, you know, and it's a real gift listening to someone, um, giving them your time and, you know, absorbing what they're going through. It's a present, I think. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. What's life like in America for you? Well, obviously, it's an interesting time to decide to move to America. It's an interesting time in the world, I think, where everything kind of seems very divisive. But I lived in America when I was four. My dad got sabbatical to UCLA and, um, and I was a valley girl. 
in Encino, which is, um, you know, cluelessville. But it, we were we weren't in a posh bit or anything. Um, I fell in love with it, and it was basically my first memories of life were Californian. I remember grape flavoring and orange and lemon trees and outdoor swimming pools and sunshine, <laughs> sunshine, sunshine, and lovely um, hot Christmas with loads of amazing lights and everything and I think it just kind of imprinted on me a bit like a baby duckling where I always loved America and then I went back and did my last year of secondary school there I got scholarship because I finished I got all my grades and finished school on my 17th birthday because I'd, I'd started school young and I was like I'm not going to uni when I'm 17 and can't go to the pub um and so I went to America for a year and uh, to school on the East Coast this time and then traveled about loads and ended up traveling in Chicago and went down to Texas and spent a lot of time up in Vermont. And I just love it. I loved I loved how friendly it was. I loved how vast it was. I loved the old, the, you know, the blues traditions and the country music traditions. And the I loved the road tripping tradition that you could, you know, jump trains. I never did that, but. It just, it was so romantic to me. And it was sort of where I discovered gigs for the first time. I never used, I went to gigs growing up in St Andrews because they were, you know, Dundee was, even Dundee was quite a long way away. And um, and I just never went to shows. So I started going to really amazing gigs in America. Finally found my way back there as a touring musician 10 years later. And then moved there in 2015. I just, I just went to Venice Beach for the first time you know, and it was just like, what? People live here? <laughs> I want to live here. This is amazing. And my father had passed, which made me kind of wake up overnight that I wasn't happy. I got out of my marriage. I sold everything I owned and I moved to the West Coast, which is kind of, I guess, like sounds like a bit of a mirror of me w trying to get somewhere when I was younger, just going, well, this isn't working. So I need to do something else. Yeah. But since you've been there, you've you've embraced it you've you've but you haven't forgot you know all of those cliches you haven't forgotten where you come from and everything and you you gig over here and I'm over here enough that I still feel sort of very connected and yeah my family's here and I just I think I've always felt pretty transatlantic and global and you know I love I can't believe all the places that I've been that music's taken me to and where I've traveled off my own bat subsequently once I had some cash to actually go anywhere, <laughs> which was lovely. Um, but yeah, I'd, I've never felt rooted. I've never felt, um, I've never put roots down anywhere. And this is now that I'm in Topanga Canyon in LA, it's sort of the first time I've felt, especially through COVID, you know, and being at home for a prolonged period of time, which I'd never done since, it, as an adult, I'd never done. Um. Uh, it was definitely pretty special and I felt um, felt very, very at peace being at home. It was great. Oh, that's fantastic. That's so lovely to hear, actually. That really yeah. is lovely to hear. God, I finally got a dog, which was oh, great. Oh, okay. <laughs> Talk to me about your dog. Love dogs. I mean, I'm in love. There's no love like it. It's just the purest, most beautiful thing. I wake up in the morning, I've got two dogs and they're just like, mm -hmm. I've just got I'm like, there is a different species I creep, there are creatures sleeping in my bed and they come and kiss me in the morning. It's just amazing. And they just, Minnie, my little miniature pincher, who's a rescue, is totally PTSD. And she, she's, she's a great, she's a great teacher. She needs to rest a lot because she gets quite stressed at simple things. And I'm just like, I need to rest more. But she's just a little lover. She's, it's just been total joy. Oh. But now, but now I miss them. I think I just, you know, I'd been, I'd I designed a life where I didn't miss anything too much because you can't because you're just away all the time and it'd just be miserable. You know, I remember crew guys on the road who just had babies or they had like toddlers at home and they'd be really gutted that they're missing all this stuff. And so I think I'd kind of avoided a situation where I'd miss to miss anything. Um, and now I miss my doggies. They're there and they're happy. Yeah, they're happy. Who's looking after them? The man. Oh, okay. Okay. They've got a hunky big man looking after them, so they're very happy. Is he going to come over here, though, as well? I hope so at some point. But yes, I think we'll be, we'll be back over here for Christmas, I think. We'll have a, a, Br a British Christmas. But you'll get a gig over here, though, won't you? 
Yeah, so I'm on tour with Stereophonics at the moment. And how is that? Oh, it's amazing. The lads. What a what an amazing band. They're very inspiring. I was just talking to Kelly before the show last night and yeah, he's just written all those songs himself and it blows my mind. Uh, he probably feels exactly the same about you. <laughs> but well, I mean, here's the thing. They're they they're 25 years, 12 albums and have been playing massive arena shows that whole time. I mean, it's it's incredible. It's a real it's a huge achievement. Because <clears throat> I'm not, you know, I don't play arenas. I'm I'm opening for them, and it's really impressive that they that they connect at that level consistently, and they've just had another number one album. It's really inspiring, amazing. Oh, how lovely! I'm so pleased that you're enjoying it as yeah. well. Aren't you also writing? Have you written, or are you writing a musical on Saving Grace? I am. So this is where Brenda Blethen comes back into yes. our on our tube map. I love to think of life as the tube map, where these Coloured lines just keep crossing each other in different places. Okay, so what colour line is she? Let's give Brenda Blethyn. Let's give her. Let's give her the northern line. It's everywhere and it's deep. It's deep down, as is Brenda Blethyn. She's wonderful. Oh, I got to tell her when I met her that she'd inspired me to find my biological mother, and she she loved that. And and then now this amazing situation with Saving Grace, where. I've been working on it for a few years, but it's really only kind of found its traction through the lockdown where we could really intensively work on it. And um, it's just so much fun. It's a lot of work and it's a huge learning curve, but it's Lawrence Connor directing. who did School of Rock and Joseph and I mean, he's one of the best directors in the world. And April DeAngelis, who's an amazing writer, is writing the book. She's so funny. And uh, so two gals looking after script and music um, and lyrics. And it's just, it, it really actually feels somewhat more suited to my skill set as a musician, where I just love melody and chord progression and emotion. And uh, I want to write earworms. I want to write songs that people are going to walk out whistling to. And, and And popular music at the moment feels, you know, it's really being owned by hip hop and urban at the moment, which I think is great. It's There's some amazing music, but it feels like what I do at the moment is kind of on a different part of the spotlight curve at the moment. Musicals are my thing. Oh, I love are they? Musicals. What's your favourite? West Side Story. I watched the original movie not long ago and I was just completely in heaven. The music and the words and the story, it's just yeah. incredible. I think... But I love every musical. Uh, but Saving Grace. So is Brenda Blething going to be in the musical? No, I mean it was twenty years oh. ago now that the the film happened. But we're we're trying to because Craig Ferguson was in it with her. So Craig Ferguson, late late show Scottish yeah, yeah. TV host, now one of my best friends for life. Oh, um, he's just the most magical being and just so much fun. We persuaded him to play the villain because he played the young gardener in the in the movie. Um, and for anyone who doesn't know the film, it's a it's a middle aged woman whose whose husband she's kind of living you know a very charmed life as a trophy wife, and her husband dies and leaves her in a total financial mess. So she starts growing weed to uh, to pay for everything to get her out of the mess. Yeah, so so Craig is uh, was on board and helping out and playing the part of this kind of villainous banker, and he was absolutely hilarious. So who are you going to cast as as her? No idea. We've got our dream, we've got our dream people, but I shouldn't say, it's not for me to say really. It's all going well. I mean, it's very, very hard world. It's like one out of 10 actually makes it to the stage. Um, but it's it's so funny and it's very moving and emotional. And I love that it's the journey of an older woman. You know, she really finds her mojo. And, uh, and I think that's an important story to tell at the moment of of a, a woman in later life, like really blossoming. Hallelujah. Yeah. Wait, so which is your favourite musical? I think my favourite musical, I used to love the film musicals when I was younger and I loved Bugsy Malone. Oh, yes. I just, it was just the best songs and I loved all, I loved it was all kids and I love Oliver as well. Gulliver's Good amazing. choices. 
Good choices. In every single way, you are a, a, an utter joy. Carry on being a joy. You, you oh, lovely Oh, Gabby, well, so are you. Every time I see you anywhere, it just, it, it, it is elevating. You are an elevating human being. Well, that's very kind of you to say. I, as my kids say, you're just an embarrassing mum, mum. So there you go. <laughs> um, uh, carry on enjoying the talk. It's part of your job as a mum. <laughs> yes, it really is. <laughs> uh, and um, I can't wait to see the musical. I will be in the front row yeah. on the first night cheering it on. And I should tell you, I have a new album out this summer. <gasps> Yes! And it is, it is the final part of the Soul Body Mind trilogy. Oh! It's all wow. done and dusted and it will be out, it'll be with you this year, which is really exciting. And it's. When? So when? 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 It bang in the middle of the summer, I think. We haven't got an exact date yet, but it's just really cool. It's seven years' work that spans my you know crazy situation of my dad dying marriage falling apart moving continents through losing my hearing when I was doing a album about the body and then I'm thinking what the hell is going to happen during the mind record and we have a global pandemic so it's just this arc that's covered a really extraordinary seven years I cannot wait for that yeah I'm excited it's a very fun album it's a really fun album when are we first going to be able to hear anything from it? Pretty soon. I <gasps> think you're going to get a sit like a, a first taste song very soon. I will make sure that you get a text. Oh, <laughs> yes. Oh, um, thank you, my lovely. Uh, carry on enjoying the tour. I so appreciate it, Gabby. It's lovely to talk to you. Next time, it's got to be in real life. I when know. you and your guitar get together and just sitting <laughs> four feet away from you, you've blew my mind last time absolutely promise that's how it will happen next time thank you so much thank you that gabby roslin podcast is proudly produced by cameo productions and music by beth Macari. could you please tap the follow or subscribe button and thank you so much for your amazing reviews we honestly read every single one of them and they mean the world to us thank you so much for listening up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com when you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.